Hello and welcome to a very special double episode of the Jazz Matters podcast. We're up to episode 17, which means if you've just found us, you have 16 other great episodes to catch up on, which you can do via our website at jazzmatters.net. This time out, we're doing something a little different. We want to share a story with you that is so big and so wonderful, we can't fit it into a single episode. So episodes 17 and 18 together will tell the story of the late and oh-so-great Duncan Lamont. Duncan passed away in July 2019, just days before his 88th birthday, having literally just played a show at London's famous 606 Club to mark that impending celebration. Because of this, it felt wonderfully fitting to return to the same venue to meet his son, Duncan Lamont Jr., and one of Duncan's favourite singers, Esther Bennett, with whom he had been performing for the last decade. We chatted for well over two hours, and I felt truly honoured to have them share such special memories with me and to have their blessing to share them with you. We have so much to cover, but before we do, as always, we're going to start with some music. And in this case, there is no better place to start than with the man to whom Duncan Lamont owed so much. I speak, of course, about Mr. Ben. We'll hear more about Duncan's connection with the legendary children's character later. But first, here is the full and so wonderful big band arrangement of Duncan's original composition that was the theme to Mr. Ben. Thank you. 
Duncan Lamont was born in Greenock, Scotland, into a hard-working but relatively poor family. His father worked in a torpedo factory and was also a gigging accordion player. 
living in a vibrant and somewhat bohemian community, get-togethers with music were a common occurrence. This was during World War II, where the popular music of the time was heavily influenced by jazz and the big band era. And by his early teens, Duncan was becoming quite proficient on the trumpet. Despite being a gigging musician, even in his mid-teens, as was part of the life of most young boys in that area at that time, Duncan left school to take up a job in the local shipyards. But it wasn't long before opportunity knocked on his door. What really changed things around for him, he, uh, they used to have a, a, a music magazine called The Melody Maker, which was kind of like a trade paper, but a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, ordinary people bought it as well. And they used to have big competitions. And there was a competition just for local bands in Scotland, in the area, and Dad's band won the competition. And one of the judges was a saxophone player called Kenny Graham, who is largely forgotten now, but at the time he was a real big deal on the kind of jazz circuit. There was John Dankworth who just made his a big impression, and Kenny Graham was like the other big. They were the two big, big hitters in the in the jazz business. And um, Kenny Graham had heard Dad play, and uh, uh, about a month later, telegram arrived. Which in those days, you know, I mean, it's it's funny now, <laughs> instant communication with text and everything. But I mean, getting a telegram was like a massive. Thing. And it was Kenny Graham from London saying, I, my trumpet player's leaving my band, I'd love you to come down to, to London. And, I, I mean, Dad was very, you know, and everybody was saying, well, you've, you've got a perfectly good job in the shipyards, you know, you, you know, what do you want to go and do that for? So Dad kept saying no, but Kenny Graham, luckily, was very, very persistent. And eventually, Dad's arm was twisted, and he, that, that sort of really changed the course of his life because he, he left... He left the shipyards, he moved down to London and started working professionally as a, as a trumpet player in, in this, uh, for this crazy band, Kenny Graham and his Afro-Cubists. A young Duncan Lamont was now playing very regularly and often required to play for hours at a time. Slowly but surely, this started to have a physical effect on him. No matter how proficient the trumpeter, it's an instrument that requires the player to get sufficient rest, and this was something that was simply not being afforded to Duncan. This started to have an effect on his playing, and in his own mind at least, he started to become inconsistent, which to somebody like Duncan was beyond frustrating and something that he did not feel he could live with. Fundamentally, what happened was, Dad had done so much playing that his his lips, you know, as he would say, he was just inconsistent. Some nights it would be fine, and he'd play well. Other nights he was really struggling. And um, and and music is such a mind game <laughs> business that it was really, and it's a bit of a loop. You know, if you have a bad night, it's quite difficult then to get back on. And he he just thought, I, I just need to stop for a bit. So he. Again, this guy, Kenny Graham, who was, I mean, calling him eccentric, it probably doesn't quite tell the whole story, but he kept trying to hand in his notice, you know, and Kenny said, no, 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 you, you keep going. And uh, 
and dad said he had a particularly bad night and he thought that's it I'm sick of this I'm this time I'm going and he went and he stormed into Kenny's office look Kenny I appreciate the fact you keep me in the band but he said I can't play and Kenny Graham just said Duncan I like what you can't play <laughs> which is a you know it's, it's a bit of a gnomic utterance it's the sort of thing Miles Davis would probably have said but I I sort of understand it with hindsight anyway to cut a long story short that was it dad dad went back to Scotland you know sort of probably thinking well maybe maybe that that's it So back in Scotland and not playing music, it wasn't long before Duncan spoke to a friend who played the saxophone and he suggested that Duncan try having a go on a different instrument. Duncan was pretty much shown the top and bottom notes on the saxophone and took to it almost immediately, even remarking, is that all there is to it? The completely different techniques removed the endurance problems he had been suffering with the trumpet, but nevertheless, Despite still only being 21, it was a really big deal for someone who had actually been a successful musician to just entirely switch instruments. But switch instruments, Duncan had, and he never looked back. Duncan toured across the country with a number of bands and gradually worked his way back to London, where he became a real fixture of the jazz scene at a very exciting time in the late 1950s. Having established himself as a top jazz soloist, it wasn't long before Duncan was picking up a lot of studio work, both for film and television. This obviously introduced him to new people, and he started playing with the Johnny Scott Quintet, with saxophonist and flautist Johnny Scott, which also featured bass, drums and a harpist by the name of David Snell. It was Johnny Scott who really started to encourage Duncan to write both songwriting for commercial artists and library music for TV and film. But eventually, it was songwriting that brought out the best in Duncan. Probably by the early 80s, he he was getting more into songwriting as well because he'd always been interested in lyrics. I mean, a lot of musicians, lyrics, you know, oh, it's a lovely tune, but if you asked a lot of jazz musicians what are the lyrics you know they might know the title and that's it you know but dad always had a he was always interested in words I mean he was quite a voracious reader as a young man and he really admired the great American songwriters as everybody did you know but not just the Jerome Kearns you know also the you know the guys who wrote lyrics as, as well the Ira Gershwins and Cole Porter and all those sort of people so then but he was get, he'd also formed a friendship with a guy called Matt Dennis. He was an American songwriter who wrote for Tommy Dorsey's band. And Matt had heard a couple of Dad's songs, almost by accident, and they struck up a friendship. And, and Matt wrote a lot of standard. He wrote Angel Eyes, The Night We Called It A Day, Let's Get Away From It All, really great, Violets For Your Furs, um, Everything Happens To Me. I mean, which everybody, I mean, not just, you know, Sinatra, all the... Singers, but then all the jazz people, Chet Baker, Miles, you know, he contributed, made a big contribution. And he really said to Dad, I really think you have something, and and then helped him, you know, he, he said, Oh, you send it to, you know, you should send this song to so and so. And um, and I think it was possibly through Matt that Dad met Blossom Deary. And Blossom really was probably, I mean, she recorded a lot of Dad's material, and again, they had a very close relationship and you know dad really 
really loved Blonde. I mean, he admired her as an artist because she's such a lovely piano player, completely unique performer. About 10 years ago, singer Esther Bennett met Duncan Lamont whilst working at the 606 Club. Over time, they became great friends, and Duncan made no secret of the fact that Esther was one of his favourite singers to perform with. The two of them started working together, playing a showcase of Duncan's music, the Duncan Lamont Songbook, a show which grew to include other great singers, such as Tina May, Sarah Moore, Daniela Kleins and Beverly Byrne. They played all over the country, right up until the day of Duncan's passing, following a performance at the 606. For Duncan, this work with Esther and the rest of the songbook gang gave him a new lease of life. Once again, Duncan Lamont was living the life of a touring musician and having a whale of a time. In this very bar, um, I'd come in to probably get my wages and uh, he was sitting around there and we got into chatting and about music and singers and singing and and he said uh, why don't you do some of my songs because you know he always won he always gave his songbooks to singers and and I took up took him up on it and it kind of roller coasted from there really nearly a decade ago and um, I did a gig where I'd incorporate a couple and then two or three and then I thought well let's make it a thing a whole thing and there was another singer Sarah Moore who, uh, and I thought, let's get other singers involved. And we, Sarah Moore and I got together and called it The Other Side of the Rainbow, the show, which was uh, one of Duncan's songs. We had Tina May, Sarah Moore and myself. Yeah, I just started then doing nice publicity pages and uh, getting gigs in London and around the, the uh, country, Swansea Jazz Line. We had quite a lot of fun when he was mobile because we used to um, <coughs> meet... Platform one at Waterloo, which is where his train came in, and then we'd uh, toddle off onto trains going all over. The best one was when we did Swansea Jazz Land, and I got us, <laughs> I got us there and back on the mega bus for eight pound between us. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout Duncan's career, he worked on many projects with so many incredible people, some of whom we will be touching on in our next episode. But there was one person who had an effect on Duncan Lamont perhaps more than any other. That person was a little illustrated man by the name of Mr Ben. I've got a brother who's a couple of years younger than me and his best mate at school was an artist called Dave McKee. It shows how much chance we're talking about drifting into things and... and, uh, so Dave McKee's the uh, author and the illustrator of Mr. Ben, and he got to know Dad at the school gates, basically. It was quite unusual back then, you know, the 60s, sort of two men actually picking children up from school, you know. So they kind of bonded at that. And, um, and, and Dave just said one day to Dad, he said, well, oh, I've, I've written this book called Mr. Ben, and, uh, you know, the BBC wants to do a watch with Mother, you know, kids, for young kids, TV, so preschool kids... Uh, do you fancy writing the music? I don't know any other musicians. You, you'll do, sort of thing. And, and Dad did it. And and again, it was like any of these things. He thought, oh, okay, give it a go. So he did it, and they recorded it. And he thought, well, it'll be shown once. 
Because, I mean, a lot of things were, obviously, little realising it turns into this cult. I mean, you can't predict cult things. They just take on a life of their own. And then and then what happened, sort of, uh, te- well, ten years ago, Dave McKee, you know, and they'd remained friends, and they'd done other projects subsequently, and uh, Dave rang up and he said, I'd love to do a whole album of the music from Mr Ben, you know, but uh, do it as a big band thing. And um, so Dad said, look, you know... Mac, he used to call him Mac, he said, Mac, he said, it's a lovely idea, but he said, big bands are expensive to record, studio costs, you know, and you won't get your money back. Not for j- Jazz recordings don't make money, you know. Um, they're just something that bump up people's gig fee if they're doing a live appearance, you know. But, yeah, Dave McKee said, well, look, no, no, I, we owe it to Mr. Ben. <laughs> it's a nice turn of phrase. He said, I'm, I've sold a few pictures recently, I've, you know, I've... I've got a bit of a fund here, and 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 we we did it. And um, the other thing, because actually he, I mean, because of the songwriting thing, Dad always enjoyed musicals. You know, I mean, a lot of musicians don't, especially if they work in West End pits. You know, they get a bit jaded about it. But um, he said, I'm, he said, Mr. Ben would be really nice as a musical for kids, wouldn't it? And I said, well, look, there's a great music department at Danes Hill, which was a school I taught at. And I said, I'll see, him, see if they're interested. And the drama teacher leapt to this. Said, yeah, let's do it. And, so basically, again, he, he wrote lyrics, he wrote a couple of new tunes, but he's kind of a, used the material he'd, he'd written um, out of it. And I, I remember vividly, because I, I wrote the script for the thing, or what they call the book, you know. So, um, so it, was a, it was a collaboration between the two of us. And we were sort of, yeah, Mr. Ben, got a lot to be grateful for, you know, from a very innocuous you know, chance sort of thing, which it was. But, I mean, I think that was the story of a lot of Dad's life. I mean, he he drifted into these things, but they took on a rather lovely life. Life ain't easy. Look around at anyone you choose. Baby, There ain't nothing like blue Happiness ain't guaranteed We have to pay our dues But baby, there ain't nothing like the blues Smoke a cigarette and drink a glass of wine Search for anything that maybe helps to pass the time And try and stop the thoughts that race around your head Try and stop that voice that tells you you'd the better day some are lucky, some are not, and some are born to lose. But baby, there ain't nothing like the
Our final music track of this episode, that was Esther Bennett singing Duncan Lamont's song, There Ain't Nothing Like the Blues. Next time on the Jazz Matters podcast. Because I, th- I think, and again, I'm totally biased, but I think the quality is there and the the material that he's left behind and I, I I know that it's quality materials so quality people will pick up on it I'm, I'm, I feel sure of that you know we were getting a free lesson from Ray Charles <laughs> we should have been paying Ray not getting paid for the, the gig well that's all we've got time for this time please make sure you join us in two weeks time when we'll be sharing part two of our Duncan Lamont special with more wonderful stories from Duncan Jr. and Esther, and of course, more great music. If you're enjoying the Jazz Matters podcast, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen, and you can find out more about the wider Jazz Matters project, including our fast-approaching festival, the South End Jazz Festival, on our website, jazzmatters.net. My thanks to Duncan Lamont Jr., Esther Bennett and the very generous people at the 606 Club. Finally, thanks to you for listening and I'll catch you in part two.